there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. No pills gonna kill my head. I got a bad case of loving you. The doctor is in. All right, now kicking off National Autism Awareness Month in a way that the mainstream media, the old media, will never allow to be covered. Uh, my good friend, Dr. Rashid Bittar, rejoins me as he does every Monday for Advanced Medicine Monday, the Medical Rewind. Uh, word is that Mercury just went into retrograde, so if we have trouble communicating today, you'll understand why. Dr. Bittar, welcome back. Hey, Robert, how are you? <laughs> it's good It's good to have you back on, despite all the obstacles, we just keep moving forward. I mean, there's a lot of things, obviously, uh, occurring on planet Earth right now, and we need all the good communication we can get. Yeah, absolutely, and when Mercury goes into retrograde, that becomes somewhat of a challenge, except for what they say from an astrological standpoint, at least. I mean, I don't know whether it's true or not, but they say that those people that were born during Mercury retrograde, they have a fantastic time over that two to three weeks period, but the rest of us that were not born, supposedly from an astrological perspective during that period, we have uh, to deal with a lot of challenges in communication and such, and you and I just experienced that for the last hour. <laughs> yeah, trying to get get this going on and making sure we could go uh, go out there on Monday with the Advanced Medicine Monday. We are here and rocking it. And and I find it interesting here, National Autism Awareness Month, there's a lot of news stories related now coming out, most of them, I think, wrongly uh, medically oriented in regards to how they're looking at it. One of the stranger stories that I just saw, uh, and you'll probably want to review this, is that they want to, the CDC is now saying they want to reclassify wandering as a medical symptom, wandering becomes a medical symptom. And of course, that's one of the things those with the autism spectrum are known to do. I have my suspicion as to why they're trying or want to do this. Maybe you have a sense of what's going on out there. Well, if wandering is going to be a medical symptom, then the entire medical profession seems to be suffering from it. <laughs> 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 because they're certainly wandering around. Um, In the darkness. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I have no idea. I know that for children that did not disengage with an activity when the teacher asked them to disengage. Um, this is going back, I see my daughter's 17 now, this is when she was three, four years old. She was, so this is about, we're talking about 13, 14 years ago. Um, from a school assessment standpoint to determine what grade level a child should be entering, they had these activities and then the this evaluation that they had the children go through and my daughter uh very precocious was reading at the age of two and playing chess she's very very you know ahead i mean she was reading regular books by the time she was five when she started kindergarten she was they tested her out of first second third fourth they said there's no way they can put a five-year-old in fifth grade right because that was her reading ability and her math ability um fourth to fifth grade level and um so they also had assessed her, and they said, there's one issue. Uh, they recommended that she be put in Ritalin. Oh. And I said, excuse me, well, Ritalin? And they said, yes, yeah, she has an attention issue. And I said, what does that mean? What do you mean attention issue, and how did you determine that? Of course, they didn't know I was a doctor at the time, and they told me, well, when she's asked to stop an activity, she, will, she refuses to and uh, won't pay attention to the teacher. I said, first of all, that is called goal orientation, and she won't stop the project till she's finished with it. And if the rest of society was like that, we would have a far less problems. <laughs> yes. Um, and as far as Ritalin, you don't have a medical license to prescribe something like that. I am a doctor, 
And what you just did, you know, what you just said was inappropriate. Of course, they shut up once they found out it was a doctor. But, right. you know, when a teacher starts recommending that a child needs Ritalin because a t- the child is not paying attention to the teacher or failing to stop an activity that the mm. teacher has initially told the child to do and when the child didn't finish it within the allotted time period, and the child is goal-oriented and wanting to complete the task, and the teacher then says that that's a problem that needs to be medicated, I mean, that's just absurd. And that, that, that was 14, 15 years ago, or 13, yeah. 14 years ago. Well, it's bad enough when a doctor prescribes it because we know the, 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 the lack of, uh, let's say, Ritalin deficiency in these, these so-called non-biological marker diseases that they're claiming in, in psychiatry with attention deficit and hyperactivity as such. Uh, but to have teachers do it, th- that takes it to another level. But we also know that the kickbacks in the school systems are very real. There is yeah. money paid back into the counties that are uh, have a higher prescription rate, higher number of children in the public government schools that are actually on the drug. Yeah, that's true. They get certain types of uh, funds that have been allotted to those programs, and the more children that they can get uh, diagnosed with those particular types of disorders, the more funding that they get don't know whether they actually utilize that funding for the benefit of the children or what they're using it for, but that's basically how the scam works. Well, it's an, whatever it is. I mean, you know, other funding uh, things that they have is putting soda machines, you know, giving them high fructose corn syrup or artificial sweeteners in there. There has been some change in consciousness over the years, but they still also rely on a lot of junk food to raise money for government sy- school systems. Absolutely, and that's that in turn then creates uh, more problems adding fuel to an existing fire and then causes other issues with, uh, obviously, as you and I have already discussed before, with some of the hyperactivity disorders and right. increasing dental decay, and then they end up getting more mercury fillings from as a secondary source of that, and the hyperinsulinia, the obesity trend that is increasing in the younger population, to actually in all the different populations, all the different age groups, and the cascade just goes on and on. Yeah, and I'm looking at this being National Autism Awareness Month. I mean, I'm thinking about this and thinking, how much awareness do we, do we need? Because so much of it's being pushed on, uh, let's say, a, a medical or a drug-based paradigm for treatment. I think that's why I brought up that initial bizarre story of the CDC now wanting to reclassify wandering as a disease-type symptom. And I have to say, it has to be because that's the only way they can uh, actually prescribe drugs and get reimbursements for it via insurance or Medicaid, Medicare, is they have to classify these things officially, then give them a code, and then they say, okay, off to the races, you drug docs. You can now, those because look, think of all the thousands, tens of thousands or more of autistic children that are out transitioning into adulthood, and, and they've got to find a way to deal with all these people. I think they're setting them up for drugging. I think you're absolutely right. Blowing the response, um, it's, a, it's a chemical restraint is what it is. We, it's like the straight jackets of old, now it, just done chemically. Uh, yep. And it's it's gonna it's the horrific uh, Nazi medicine that is just kind of rearing its ugly head every which way we turn. We think they're going to kind of finally get it and stop doing it, and they push this insanity one step further. Well, you know the coding aspect. It's interesting. You had uh, Tim Bowen on, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Tim's uh, Tim and I've we go back almost uh, actually more than a decade now. Yes. And uh, Tim had told me that the current coding system for health insurance claims is actually owned by the AMA and uh, it's, um, it's the entire insurance reimbursement program is based upon this coding if, and if they don't allocate a certain code it basically is non-reimbursable so they essentially have a monopoly and uh, there was a couple of years ago there was uh, an attempt to create a different coding system that was being 
initiated and, and pushed by a group that was more holistically oriented. I don't remember the details. I think something to do with Bastyr University had, had some component in there. And it was basically killed uh, relatively quickly because uh, of the monopoly that the AMA had and they didn't want to let go of the reimbursement aspect. But that's really what it comes down to. He who controls the code can then control what will be reimbursable or not. Yeah, that basically establishes one profession and, out, and outlaws without outlawing it officially. Any other, because if you can't be paid, if there's no reimbursement, then it's done for economically in a monopoly system. And I think you're right. What I remember it, it was was something like 97.5 or more percent of all the codes were owned by the American Medical Association, a private trade uh, organization, which at one time went up to the Supreme Court, Wilk versus AMA, that was colluding to eliminate any competition to medicine in that context. At that point, they were at- attacking the chiropractic practic profession for many years. That's right. And of course they do that with other other um, paraprofessional groups too, but um, they learned their lesson with the chiropractor, so um, they do it in a more covert fashion now. And it's not just against uh, chiropractors, it's even within the own profession, within the profession of medicine. Yes. Anybody who deviates, you know, they're the they're the worst sorry about that. No, I they're think I worst. think we've uh, we've uh, we've attracted an AMA and you're, the dog's gonna go get them. Yeah. <laughs> But that's a, that's absolutely true. I mean, it's a, it's a big issue. Yeah. Well, they, they yeah they attack their own, and and you know the thing is, I think that oh, oh, some years ago the membership, of course, has been declining to the American Medical Association for many years now. In fact, I think it's well below fifty percent now of uh, medical doctors that are actually members of that trade group. I'm sorry, Robert. Say that one more time. I, I broke up. That's all right. I heard that now it's well below fifty percent of all doctors are even members of the AMA. Yeah, that's probably true. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I was a member of the AMA and the AOA for many years. Uh, I haven't been a member for probably six or seven years. I have no idea what the membership is, but I think it's actually, um, I think it actually, last time I heard, it was less than 30%. Yeah, there's no question. It's definitely descending into into places where you you guys scratch your head and go, why do they have any influence at all? Well, they have an economic engine and they make money off of every pretty much every code for reimbursement. It isn't that you're just reimbursing a doctor or a drug company or something like that. Part of the percentages built into that go back to kick in to the American Medical Association. Yeah, I think that's a misnomer too. That there's a misunderstanding that the general public has that well, you know when an insurance claim is paid, how much actually goes to the doctor. And, and especially with the medications, too, people tend to think that, oh, well, you know, the doctors get all the money. It's less than one cent on a dollar that actually goes back to the doctor from any type of pharmaceutical sale. And that That's not even that one cent. It, it may make a big deal out of that one cent. So they now are putting in more stipulations on what a doctor can and cannot get from a drug company, which personally I think is, you know, it's, it's good that they're doing that, but they're putting so much emphasis on doctors and being taken out to dinner or doctors getting you know like a book as an incentive this that the other but they don't talk about the other 99 cents uh, on every dollar that's spent on where that's going and uh, so again doctors as a group get land blasted because of the increase in pharmaceutical sales and the, the cost of uh, the cost of pharmaceutical sales but people don't realize doctors really don't have much to do with that aspect other than of course the research the researchers are getting huge um, bonuses for getting studies done and getting their uh, allotment of uh, research funds and how they use those research funds. Uh, you know, they're allowed to pretty much use them for whatever they need. Mm. And uh, so there's there's a lot of misunderstanding on how the system works. But 
a lot of these studies that are being done that are being funded by the pharmaceutical companies, they essentially buy the doctors. I mean, yeah. I hate, uh, you know, I've said this, if you've heard me say it once, you've probably heard me say it a thousand times, the, the medical profession is nothing more than the, than the, than the prostitutes of the um, pharmaceutical cartel. And yeah. uh, the only difference is that a prostitute charges money and the doctor doesn't. Yeah, I know. Isn't that bizarre? Uh, well, it's a fascinating look behind the scenes of the medical uh, field right now. And with news stories coming out during National Autism Awareness Month, we actually have an interesting story I want to talk with Dr. Batar about when we come back. All right, welcome back. We're rocking the health world all over planet Earth right now with Dr. Rashid Batar. It's the Medical Rewind Advanced Medicine Monday. I always look forward to this because it's a candid, uncensored interview on behind-the-scenes looks and on, on many different topics, diseases, medical care, and the like, integrative medicine, detoxification. It happens to be the beginnings of National Autism Awareness Month, so we can hit these topics as well. Dr. Batar, welcome back. Glad to have you on board. Thank you, Robert. Always, always great to be back. Well, I covered a story on, on my Sunday show that is so outrageous and shocking as I was relating it to you on the break. Uh, you, you know, it's, it's amazing. We look at our culture and say, what the heck has happened here? Because this woman in Detroit has a child, first child was harmed by vaccines, saw it, said, I don't want to vaccinate my second child, I'm going to homeschool her. That child becomes 13 years of age, she wants, she's a teenager, she wants to be with her friends, wants to go to regular school. So mom says, okay, you can, but they insist, the medical and, and school authorities say, well, no, you have to vaccinate your child or we're not letting her in. Never, never ever giving informed consent to say, hey, there's a medical exemption, which I think would be reasonable. First, let me ask you this. If one child in a family has had an adverse event that's, that's classified and clear from a, a vaccination, would not that be a reasonable way? I know it's difficult for docs to do this, not you, but others, uh, to get a medical exemption and within a family to say, hey, there could be a problem here. We have an exemption for any child that has autism that we've treated for any of their siblings that there's an increased genetic predisposition within this family uh, to develop autism based upon the inability to detoxify. And so we actually give any, any of those children that, that become patients of ours, we automatically give them a risk versus benefit letter for the prevention of vaccinations in school. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the least that anybody would expect. you think any doctor would do that. But it, it is evidently one of the hardest things to get any doctor out there to, to put a medical exemption that is based on logic and sound, uh, you know, observational science and, and, and the like. Yet in this case, this woman was not only denied that kind of option to say, hey, e even if they didn't get a medical, here, there's a religious exemption possibility, maybe even a philosophical, depending on the state. None of that. They did this, and then this child started going ballistic behaviorally, started acting very strange, and then the medical authorities in the school insisted that she be on medication, this time not Ritalin, Risperidol, which if you've ever read the inserts on that drug and the, and the side effects, it's nasty. That's yeah, very, very, very bad. I think that Risperidol causes more problems. That, I mean, you take a normal individual with no problems, you give them Risperidol, you'll start seeing you know, serious, serious side effects. So, And then the, the, the total outrage of this story is, you know, the last part that you said, what happened to the mother, which is... Yeah, let me just let everybody in on that. If they're not aware, uh, this woman, uh, Gold Boldo is her name, her last name, she, she held herself up in her room or in her house with her 13-year-old daughter to protect her from... Child Protective Services that were going to come and force her to be on the medication. She's saying she's watching her daughter get worse on the medication. And now we've got governmental authorities taking children away, and they've charged this woman with a felony. We're going to have a handbasket. 
I, I know. I, we, what, do we, what do we deserve as a culture if we're willing to tolerate this, Dr. Batar? If you can't even protect your own child, and that's the thing that Thomas Jefferson said over 250 years ago, that when people allow a government to dictate the foods that they put in their mouths and the medicines to take into their bodies, their souls will soon be in the same sorry state as those who live under tyranny. That's exactly what's happening now. It's amazing to me how our forefathers actually forecasted many of these things that we're seeing today. And not just in, in the normal realm of politics and economies, and, but, you know, from fundamental rights, you know, the freedom to freedom of speech and the freedom to choose the doctor you're going to go see, or freedom of, uh, to choose, you know, whether your child is going to be given a certain type of uh, substance that uh, the, the parent may not think is the best thing for them. And, of course, they do it under the guise that they're protecting the children. Yeah. Um, but I can tell you that you, you and I both know that this is just, this is just uh, it's an outrage that's being built upon, and it's, it's cascading and it's exponentially increasing. We've seen this already occur in the last five, six, seven years with parents that are trying to protect their children from getting chemotherapy when they've gotten a cancer. Yes, yes, exactly. But uh, now even with these, these stuff, I mean, it's just, it's just becoming absurd. Well, and, and this article, and it was covered by SaneVax.org, and I've just interviewed a couple of ladies from there. They're doing fantastic work in bringing these things out. But if you read the mainstream article, you had to read all the way to the end of the article uh, before you discover, because the kind of way they paint it is like, oh, this woman had a gun and she was, you know, out of control. And, and it, you know, in fact, you find out only at the end of the article, and most people don't read that far, that the mother was simply, as we described here, trying to protect her child from more vaccine and drug injury because her other daughter, her first daughter, had been ha- injured, a serious reaction after vaccination. And so why would it not be within her parental rights and authority to protect her next child? If the, if the doctors aren't going to do it, the parents have got to. You know, I, I hate to take this off topic, but I will summarize what's going on in our country. And I think those of us that have ever been to a gun show will now understand why when you go to a gun show, you can't even find parking. I don't care how small or remote it is. <laughs> yes. It's packed. Yeah, like, you want, and you're wondering, you're scratching your head. Why does everybody want a gun now? Yeah, every everybody from like you know uh, the, the senior citizens who've never had a, a gun to you know people that are just eighteen, twenty years old, and uh, and when you ask them, I, I was I actually went to my first gun show ever, um, probably I said maybe six years ago, and I've only been to a couple since then. But I just went to one um, about a month and a half ago. And I'll tell you, it was unbelievable. And I just decided, I was there for like five hours with, uh, with one of my friends, and he said, Doc, you do know that there's three more buildings just the same. I mean, it was so, so packed, we couldn't even walk. It was elbow to elbow. And he goes, you do know there's three more buildings like this. And I couldn't believe how many people were there. So just over a 15-minute period, you know, this different demographic of people, I just stop and ask him, you know, do you often come over here? And everybody, with the exception of one person that I asked, said this was their first gun show. Wow. I mean, an 18-year-old guy, a 27-year-old woman who probably thought I was trying to hit on her, <laughs> uh, a, uh, some, a gentleman that was in the 70s, and then there was a little lady that was in her 80s, and she was pushing her husband, who was uh, in, a, in a wheelchair. Wow. And, yep. and they said this was the first time they were at the gun show. And, you know, it's amazing that this, you see a, uh, such a varied demographic of people now that are going, why? Why are people starting to do this? Well... You know, it may be because that quote that I just gave you for Thomas Jefferson, well, the other one is, a, you know, the right to bear arms. Um, that is another thing that there's, a, a, there's now 
I guess, a legislature that's been introduced to try to disarm the American population. Yes. Are you familiar with that? Or I don't even know what that is. Well, yeah, I've heard reference to it. I, I don't have a, a independent verification on it. But, yes, I know there's always been attempts to this. And, you know, this, I think, is, is a wrong-headed notion from those that are considering themselves on the left and, you know, peace-loving. Look, I, am a, I love the peace, but I think in order to make the peace, you have to be able to defend yourself, and it is a, a genuine deterrent. I mean, you have firearms so that you don't have to use them. Well, Robert, you know, this, this is something that I've had many discussions of. My mom had taught me when I was very young, though, before I started college, she said, don't ever discuss politics and religion because all you do is you'll find out that you'll discuss it all night and the next morning is, the sun is rising and your, you know, your final is only an hour away and you haven't studied because you've been debating politics and religion. Well, when it comes down to this thing about, you know, the military and, and peace loving or not, to, what is the most fundamental component if you want to ensure peace? But the oh. most fundamental component. Well, I, I think your ability to defend yourself. Exactly. Your ability to fight, your, your strength, is what dictates peace because nobody wants to screw with you. If you're weak, you are an invitation for any and every bully to come along and pick on you. But if you're strong, if you know how to fight, if you know how to defend yourself, you are going to be a much more unlikely target. They will look for other victims. And this is the reason that the United States has always been the strongest country because we have been, um, we, ha- we have the ability to fight. We have had the resources that we've created to defend ourselves, so nobody wanted to mess with us. Now, of course, we've in many ways have tended to now become the bullies and, and going into different countries and doing certain things, but the point is that that's the reason the United States and Russia, uh, um, at that, you know, back before the uh, Iron Curtain fell, were considered the superpowers because they were the strongest. Nobody would screw with them. Mm. Why? Because they had the ability to defend themselves. They had resources that they'd allocated for training, for weapons, for whatever. But if you don't do that, then you will become a victim. So if you really, truly want to ensure peace, and when people talk about, well, you know, it's wrong to have guns, it's wrong to have a strong military, you need to be promoting peace. If you truly want to have peace, then you become strong, you learn how to fight, and nobody's going to screw with you, and then you can ensure peace. Well, let's talk about it in terms of a biological and an immunological reality. The fact is, when you are strong and vital, none of the microbes can take advantage of you either. That's where I see this as-above-so-below principle that nature works this way. This isn't just, a, you know, we're not talking, Dr. Batar and I, about being a Republican or being a Democrat or any of that. This goes back to principles in life itself that allow us to walk through life with health and vitality, and we will not succumb to these things that others who have not prepared accordingly and responsibly to be able to defend ourselves. And again, that comes down to the cellular level, does it not? Absolutely. This is a beautiful example that you're just bringing up, because the more uh, your immune system is capable of defending itself and fighting, the less prone you will be not only to disease, uh, pestilence and uh, the viral and bacterial and mycoplasma and spirochetes and fungal onslaughts, but your, your entire system can now actually thrive. We're not talking about just surviving. It can actually thrive. Yes. And this is where it comes back to what we talk about in the factsontoxicity.com. Um, if you want to understand this principle, go to factsontoxicity.com. You can go to Medical Rewind and, and find a link to it, but factsontoxicity.com basically describes how chronic disease starts, all chronic disease. I don't care if you're talking about asthma, stroke, heart disease, cancer, whatever it is, 
it all starts the same way from oxidative stress. And how is that oxidative stress started? Well, I go through those seven toxicities, and those seven toxicities are the cause, uh, or the mechanism of injury from these seven toxicities, increase the oxidative stress that causes the problem, which is a common problem with all chronic disease. And if you can effectively remove these seven toxicities, chronic disease cannot exist. The, the key element there is effectively um, yes. get rid of these toxicities. That's too many times we give the word detoxification lip service. But <laughs> if you can effectively detox the system from these seven toxicities, chronic disease can't exist. And I'll summarize those real quick. First one is heavy metals. Second one is persistent organic pollutants, the chemicals of thorium hydrocarbons, um, the benzene, stalines, organophosphates, all the different chemicals we get exposed to. That's the second one. The third one is the opportunistics, what Robert, you just mentioned, the bacteria, virus, spirochetes, mycoplasma, yeast, etc. Right. Now, what's interesting is that third one, that third opportunistic, actually cannot set up house, and that's the only one that modern medicine has actually looked at and addressed, but they have not looked at the first and second toxicity, the heavy metals and the persistent organic pollutants, that cause the immune system to become depressed and allows the opportunistic uh, opportunistic toxicity, the bacteria, virus, etc., to actually set up house. And so that's exactly what you were talking about, having a strong immune system without any damage to that immune system from the first and second toxicity will allow and prevent you to fight these uh, microorganisms, the bacteria, virus, spirochetes, mycoplasma, yeast, etc., yeah. to prevent them from setting up disease. These are the first three of the seven toxicities, and then you've got the fourth one, which is energetics. That's everything from ambient cell phone radiation, electromagnetic radiation, etc. It's the microwaves, etc. The the fifth one is emotional psychological, which is the greatest one when dealing with things such as cancer. Uh, the sixth one is um, food toxicity. And when, we, when I talk about food toxicity, I'm not talking about the toxic substances within the food, but more the genetic modification and the irradiation of foods. That actual uh, change in the, of the molecular. Uh, integrity of the substances that we're ingesting for nourishment, and then the seventh toxicity is the spiritual toxicity. So, and I talk about this in the book, but you can watch these videos online. Dr. Batar, you're only here with me once a week. It's not enough, but we do whatever we can, and you have ways that people can learn more about you. I always encourage people to get your books, and there's lots of videos and things, but let everybody know where they can learn more. Well, there, there are a number of different sites that are uh, available to people for resources, but we've got them all uh, in one location so you, people can pick and choose whatever information they need and that would be at medicalrewind.com The Robert Scott Bell Show Alright, we're back, we're rocking and it is uh, you know all over the place as we do on the Medical Rewind, tying in things that no other show could possibly tie together from the right to keep and bear arms to the immune system, who would have thunk it we do it here every week uh, with Dr. Rashid Batar and I'm always grateful for your uh, your, your what would I say? You're willing to, to bend and flex with me as we do every week. It's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. And actually, it's not, you know, when we talk about the medical rewind, I'm not sure there's a reason, obviously, we use the word medical rewind because we want to show the before and after and the effects of what can be possible to give people an accurate picture of uh, truly what the body's capable of. And that, I guess, we probably need to do sooner rather than later, Robert. We haven't actually discussed that online, what the, why it's called Medical Rewind. But, mm. you know, I don't know whether it's necessarily the most appropriate name because we end up talking about so many different things anyway. <laughs> well, you know, in a sense, it's like rewinding all of the things that, that are wrong and going back to the beginning and correcting them. I mean, that's part of what I see what we're doing here. That's absolutely true. I mean, that, that is exactly what we are doing. Uh, my hope is that soon we'll be able to um, show 
results after, for instance, persons have had stroke, showing them where they are, and then showing them after appropriate treatment how they're able to get up, walk, do the things that they were doing before the stroke with uh, no residual effect or with any other type of chronic disease like that. And, and you know, to make it, to make it, um, to let people know that they truly do have an option, and it's an option that is not uh, something that is one in a million that would work. It's an option that will work virtually every time if you do the right things. Yes. It's not something that's beyond anybody's reach. It's something that, of course, traditional medicine uh, insurance model won't pay for, but uh, it will be. It is something that is accessible to somebody that that desires it or wants it. That actually is not complacent enough to accept the course of action that has been given to them from the tradition uh, from the traditional viewpoint yeah i love i love that you said that because uh we talk about uh let's say restoring integrity to the health the healing the detox all of these things mean that there is a there are principles at play there are principles involved here and it's not that people get lucky this is the whole thing about the medical model it's all about luck it's your genes it's not your genes. Ooh, ooh, sorry about that we don't know why it happened that's all they told me when i was growing up dr batar and i one day i figured this is bunk man it's a random act of everything i'm just a pinball in a pinball machine no i don't like that and found out that there were principles involved started applying the principles and got well and the thing is i've helped many thousands as you have since that time to get well not by luck but by applying principles you know this is the funniest thing too remember when 2020 when you were interviewing me when i had been on 2020 they were they probably used the word controversial doctor probably 200 times in that half hour uh, when they were referring to me but what was funny was they had all these places they had uh yale on there they had um um, I don't remember, John Hopkins, they had a couple of different hospitals uh, where they had the heads of the department saying that what I did could not possibly explain why this woman was getting better. Yet, these are the same institutions where that woman had gone and hadn't gotten any help. And I just, I, to me, it was when I was watching it afterwards, it, it, I had friends of mine, family members that were, you know, outraged by it. I was laughing because it's like, you call me controversial so many times. <laughs> You've got all these people on there that she's already gone to that's saying that she can't be helped. But then we help her. Her own husband says she's 95% better. We helped her in, a, in literally less than a week. And then, of course, it took you know, a month and a half, two months to continue that progress. And then you're telling me or you're telling the world that what I'm doing couldn't have helped her, but you yourself don't know what could help her and saying that there's nothing that can be helped. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost, it's the most absurd thing. It's kind of like the argument with Mercury, you know, yeah. that they've even said, the head of the CDC had, had said that, well, we're not arguing, or I'm sorry, um, yeah, I think it was uh, the head of CDC in the CBS World News Tonight segment where she says, well, we're not saying that Mercury is good for you. Oh, yeah? We're just saying that Mercury in this particular dosage, uh, we don't believe is actually causing the problem. So, but my my question is okay. So you're arguing that a poison is not actually acting as a poison because of the dose that we're giving. Mm. I mean, an aspirin, one aspirin can kill a person. Yes, the inappropriate it's, it's usage of, of anything. I mean, acetaminophen, a Tylenol, for yeah. example. Do you know that Tylenol? So many people try to kill themselves. Okay, for the people that are listening, if you try to kill yourself, don't try to kill yourself by taking Tylenol. Why? Because you will end up dying a very miserable, slow death. And I'm not talking about two weeks or two months. I'm talking about 20 years. Because we used to see so many people come into the emergency room, people that are trying to kill themselves, 
or trying to seek attention, whatever the case is. Of course, I'm being facetious here, but if anybody's yeah. trying to kill themselves, don't take Tylenol. All you'll do is fry your liver, okay? But Tylenol is probably one of the most detrimental drugs out there that has affected more people's ability to detoxify the system, compromise their ability to actually clean up their system. Because yeah, exactly. The, li the liver is the oil filter of the body, and what people don't understand is that if you compromise the liver, you are essentially like taking the oil filter out of your car. That's essentially what you're doing. So there's two components to that liver function, that detoxification is phase one and phase two. Tylenol compromises, uh, many drugs actually compromise um, liver functions. For instance, people don't recognize that alcohol. You know, once you drink alcohol, the first phase of alcohol going to the liver turns to formaldehyde. Formaldehyde is embalming fluid, what uh, is put in people once they die in, in order to preserve their body for the funeral process. So formaldehyde is obviously not a good thing, but that's what we're doing. We're converting the alcohol to formaldehyde when we drink alcohol. So anything that reduces the functioning of the liver, anything is bad. You need to improve and enhance the liver function so that the body can then continue to clean itself. Well, you know, and it's so funny that you bring that up, and, and not funny, ha-ha, but, you know, I was just covering earlier today uh, this non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. The rates are rising in the United States. This is off of Web Moment of Duh, I mean WebMD. And they're, they're covering that liver disease is increasing, but it's not from alcoholism. What's going on here? But they don't know. We know that it's, well, they probably do know. Uh, they probably do know. In fact, uh, statin drugs, another huge, huge issue. Statin drugs yes, yes. cause incredible, incredible burden on the liver. In fact, all the studies that were done to substantiate the, the use of statin drugs, what are, you know, the Helsinki study and some of these other components that were done initially to talk about the use of statin drugs, they all had shown that statin drugs will reduce the level of ubiquinone in the body, uh, coenzyme Q10, which is essential for mitochondrial function. Mitochondria is the respiratory center of, uh, of the cell. And um, so all the studies had shown the recommendation was that a person must take coenzyme Q10 when taking a statin drug in order to make sure that they don't start creating problems due to the, uh, the inherent decrease of coenzyme Q10 when you're using a statin drug. Uh, this was something that every study showed needed to be done, and yet when the statin drugs were promoted, they left that little piece of essential information out. Mm. And when questioned as to why, it was because coenzyme Q10 was too expensive and cost prohibitive, so they just left that out of the picture. And, of course, we know what happened with the, with the use of uh, statin drugs, all the side effects. There's a tremendous number of side effects, and then, of course, the increase in hepatocellular carcinoma incidence with the people that have been using statin drugs. Right, and precipitation of congestive heart failure, which comes back to the coenzyme Q10 aspect, and you know, always back to the science that we've reviewed, you've reviewed, to, to show that cholesterol is, is very low on the list of real risk factors for cardiovascular disease. In fact, uh, all the studies in the last four years clearly show that half the people that have normal lipid levels have a very high incidence of heart disease, and half the people that have uh, increased incidence of heart disease have totally normal cholesterol. And in fact, it's been correlated to hyperinsulinic states. Mm -hmm. and it's a hyperinsulinic state that not only diabetes, heart disease, but also cancer. And, uh, so, and another great irony in their desire to reduce cholesterol at all costs despite no real direct link to cardiovascular disease is that they are increasing the amount of Alzheimer's, they're increasing neurological degradation, and they're decreasing lifespan, which is shown to have a correlation with higher levels of cholesterol. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
I think cholesterol is nothing more than a body's protective mechanism. Right, exactly. And, um, so and I'm, I'm, I, in our cardiovascular DVD, we actually show how fast cholesterol level can really be brought down if that's what it is. But it's not a, it's not a desired effect of, or an outcome that I look for in my clinic. I mean, we, we've shown how fast we can reestablish normal laboratory parameters in individuals. I mean, literally within, you know, we've got blood work. I show blood work on an individual and then I show blood work on the same individual uh, two hours later. Yeah. Um, and the difference in it, in fact, you know, I'll share with you, Robert, and the people that are listening to this, um, that person's blood work, that's me. I mean, I have familial type 2B hyperlipidemia, wow. which is a genetic disorder, um, and, uh, or not genetic disorder, but it's a genetic lesion. And, um, you know, my, my triglycerides and my cholesterol, my cholesterol is like in the 1700s, 1800s. Wow. You know, and I've been able to maintain everything I normally uh, do, just exercise and, and dietary changes. And I'm not talking about dietary changes of what the typical doctor would say, like staying away from eggs. I eat two to four eggs every day. Exactly, you yes, know, um, yes. I eat real butter. If, if you want to stay away from things like margarine and you know, trans fatty acids yes. and hydrogenated oils, Exercise and a good whole diet. I mean, that's all you have to worry about. I mean, yeah. look at the look at the facts. Bears have cholesterol in the six to eight hundred level. Have you ever heard of a bear have a heart attack? <laughs> not not recently. Not ever. I don't no, think. Exactly. Exactly. But that's a normal blood cholesterol level of a bear. Yeah, and, and you know, people that have heart attacks when they see bears may not even have high cholesterol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, this is, a, this is so beautiful because I was going to say, I bet you're not on a low-fat diet, and you're not. I am not. You, because we not. know the essential fats, how critical they are for protective mechanisms, reduction in inflammation, all the real issues in regards to uh, vascular disease, and literally any other chronic disease being inflammation in, uh, in, at a starting point. You know, the, let's, let's talk about this high-fat thing or, you know, fat diet. You also have to understand that what type of, when you talk, I mean, I try to stay away from fats, but I'm talking about like, if I'm eating a piece of steak, I yeah. trim all the fat off. I try to stay away from, you know, the, um, the fattening type of things. I'm not talking about a cream cheesecake that's made from scratch. That's not to me. What are you, you trying to fat. make me hungry? What's going on here? Uh, well, you know, you know what I'm talking about. It's all the crap yeah. that we talk about. Yeah. In fact, sugar-free foods mm -hmm. are the worst food to eat. They are. Because, because that, that's actually going to promote... Um, fat accumulation. Yeah, excessive consumption as well. Stand by. We need to take another break here. We've got one more segment. The time goes so fast, faster than any day of the week when I do this with Dr. Batar each week, uh, Advanced Medicine Mondays. We're going to talk more about fat. Another thing I promised I would get to autoimmunity. I'm going to ask Dr. Batar oh. about it based on my perspective. So stand by. Sorry Come about that. That no. was my fault. <laughs> no worries. Coming right back after this. The Robert Scott, the Bell, Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. Yes, the fastest part of the week here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Dr. Batar, one more segment here, rocking the health world. And I promise we would also talk autoimmunity. We'll get to that in a moment. But there are so many things that you have revealed through your writings and in your research and through your patients. It's, it's extraordinary. Every week we can't even get to it all, but I'm grateful that we can get to some of it each week. Well, Robert, I appreciate you having me. Now, I wanted to get into the issue of autoimmunity. We were talking about the immune system in relation to firearms earlier, and people were like, whoa, where are they going with that? But, you know, we talk about hyperimmune responses. It's like, why is the immune system attacking the body? That's what they call the autoimmunity, like rheumatoid arthritis and lupus and other things. And, and I've always said it relates just to what you've written about in your book, about the toxicity issue, the damage to the cells, the inflammation of the cells to the point where the cells are no longer the same thing as they used to be. And our immune system says, hey, that's 
it's not me. And they go after it. And, and of course, the, the, the stupid doctors, they go and attack the immune system. The smart ones, like you, go in and detoxify the body, give the body what it needs, and heal the tissue, heal the cells. And then look, lo and behold, the cells just go, we're better. And the immune system goes, hey, that's me again. That's us. We don't have to attack. Well, you know, autoimmunity is a, is, it's a, it's an interesting phenomenon. Actually, you, when you start talking about the guns, it made me, it made me, again, I hate to go off tangent here, but it made <laughs> me think about an email that I got a couple of years ago, and they equated the incidence of death, uh, the, the, um, mortality associated with handguns versus visiting a doctor, and they did the mathematical calculations, and the end product was, uh, your, 1,947 times more likely to die by visiting your doctor. Than by <laughs> doctors are more dangerous than guns, so why, why don't they try to ban doctors? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it was so funny. I mean, it was a very interesting mathematical you know, correlation that they made. It was all based upon facts that are published, so I, I hope I can find that somewhere. But anyway. Yeah, and there was you know, a doctor, I think Biggleson, I'm, sure, I'm not sure I, I uh, talked to earlier uh, recently, and he wrote a book, Doctors Are More Dangerous Than Germs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's uh, you know, talking about the autoimmunity aspect. We we all understand a compromised immune system, a damaged immune system. Uh, things that you see when the immune system is damaged, cancer. Obviously, you cannot have cancer unless you have a compromised immune system. Now, um, AIDS, for instance, another another example. And you can go into many different types of uh, disease processes and look at them that are a consequence of an immune system that's been compromised. Right. But on the opposite side, when you have a hyperimmune response, an attenuated immune response, we call those, we categorize those things as autoimmune. And so it's, a, it's seen as two separate, distinct disease processes. And in fact, it is anything but different. It's in fact the same issue. It's this one compensation is hyperactivity the other one is hypoactivity so in right. the book in fact i talk about this i talk about the three foundations of health upon which these nine steps to keep the doctor where are built these three foundations would be analogous to the three basement levels in a high-rise business you uh, high, high-rise uh, building, building yeah. right so if you think of a high-rise building remember that the high-rise building wasn't just uh, built on a slab it was built on on a basement, but that basement went down a couple of floors. And those, the deeper it goes, the the more important that first floor basement level becomes, because it's giving the integrity and the and the structural uh, soundness to that building to allow it to stay up, uh, regardless of the weather, or wind, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. So that first first level, that first basement level, that is in recovering. Uh, an individual who has uh, a chronic disease, that first fundamental foundation of the three foundations is systemic detoxification. Yes. Systemic meaning the whole system, detoxification, obviously cleaning up the body. The second floor up, you're still in the basement, but now you're going up to the second floor, that is immune modulation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And immune modulation meaning that if you have a hypo immune response, meaning a compromised immune response, a depressed immune response, you bring that up to normal. Correct. And if you have a hyperimmune response, as you would in an autoimmune disease like uh, systemic lupus erythematosus or, yeah, or yeah. some of these other th- conditions, you would actually reduce that immune response. 
allergies, common mm-hmm. allergies. That is an example of a hyperimmune attenuated response. Yep. So that would be the second step, immune modulation. And then the third one is physiological optimization. Then by that time you break ground level and then you build with the ninth, the, the ninth steps. Yeah, by the way, the, the nine steps to keep the doctor away is a Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and Amazon bestseller. And if you haven't taken advantage of the links that I have, please do so. Go to the nine steps to keep the doctor away. And again, I've got them linked up at the blog in the uh, update that we're sending out through Natural News. Sensational, life-changing information. I cannot overstate how important that is, and Dr. Batar, that you've written that again. again. So it's fantastic that it's out there. More people need to, to need to get it, learn about it, and, and apply what is in it. So reducing immunity. In fact, interesting thing uh, in applying some of these techniques. I had a friend that I just talked with recently, interviewed him about his daughter. She's in her thirties. She had sarcoidosis, another in the line of these autoimmune diseases, and she was, uh, you know, told she would have to be on the prednisone, the steroids, to stop the immune system. And she didn't want. It. She tried it for a while, and then she actually went holistic we talked about detoxification actually had her on silver a lot of people freak out and say oh it's going to hyper stimulate it didn't in fact it helped to normalize her immune function and she got through it uh within a matter of months and starting the silver and the things we've talked about and you've talked about in your book well actually let me let me clarify one of these points i don't believe that the silver um reduces the immune system what the silver does and Robert, you just paraphrased this, but what the silver does is it actually reduces the immunologic burden. Yes. Whatever the pathogen is, so then that allows the immune system to calm down, and it's not in that hyper, exactly, uh, attenuated flight, fight, overstimulated response type uh, system. You, you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. It's, Plus the normalization of regeneration to some degree. Going back to Dr. Becker's work, Robert Becker, the right. Body Electric, we see these things, and that's why I say it's it's what we do. What you do is take this information and really give it that full rounding perspective so that you can apply it appropriately for the aid of and care of the people coming to you for help. Becker's work was amazing stuff. That was one of my first, that was a book that I read before I even uh, got to medical school, believe it or not. Oh my gosh, yeah, it's so amazing. And that had to stimulate, did for me a lot of thought going, wow, this is amazing stuff. Listen, we're almost out of time. This goes so fast, the Medical Rewind Advanced Medicine Monday here. Uh, again, I have all the links to Dr. Batar, his book, The Medical Rewind. Any, any message for everybody this week as we, we survived Mercury in retrograde today? We've got some good stuff out there. Well, actually, um, I had a person that had heard the radio show and contacted my office and she actually ordered the book online and one of the things that she sent back an email to the uh, ticket system was that she was so excited that she got one of the DVDs at a deeply discounted price so one of the things that you know we don't even talk about Robert but you probably forgot this but anybody who comes that buys the book uh, the nine steps from the ninth step.com can get one of the DVDs um, part of the Know Your Options medical series. These DVDs are online at Amazon.com. Uh, $89.55, I think, is each DVD. And the people that are getting it through the website, if they go to the 9 through your link, yep. I think they get it for like $17 or something like that. It's like, you know... Serious you know, discount, exactly. Yeah. So th- this is another opportunity. Like I said, if you haven't gotten already the, the newsletter updates, go to my blog. There's a link there with today's description, show description in there on the, on the Medical Rewind with Dr. Batar. You can take advantage of that as well. Again, it's life-changing information. This is not stuff you'll go scratch your head. What was that? You'll go, how, did I, how come I didn't know this sooner? Go ahead. It's not just my stuff, though, Robert, the no. stuff that you're putting out. There's so many other guests that you have in your show that have fantastic information to share, everything from, you know, like a Dr. Sherry Tempany stuff and mm-hmm. uh, Tim Bowen stuff and many of the other people's stuff. So I hope that the listeners do take uh, advantage of what you have to offer and, uh, and 
benefit themselves. By well, this this is the new media. We're out creating the old, and Dr. Batar, you're helping me do it. Thank you so much. Every week, look forward to it. Same here, Robert. Thank you. All right, we're going to rock the health world uh, more and more, and of course, the power to heal is yours. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.